We're in the last chapter of uh, the book that we have been going back and revisiting, that we've revised, uh, called The Ten Most Powerful Words That You Can Say. And so uh, today we're going to finish that up. We might have a kind of a special surprise review in a couple weeks. I won't say anything more than that right now, but the power of words. I hope it's been seeping in. It really has to me. The revelation of this has just been uh, mind-boggling to me personally. The power of my words. Job said in chapter 6 and verse 25, how forceful are the right words. How forceful are the right words. And I know that we all would also agree how forceful are the wrong words. They're forceful as well. Words wield immense power like a sword. A sword can be there for protection and, 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 and safety and security. Or a sword can be there for destruction. And the Bible talks about like the sword uh, that can come out of our, our mouth. And this is what we're talking about with words. And we, I don't think we even comprehend yet what God has done in creating us in his image. And in that image, giving us free will. In that, God said, let us make man, let us make them in our image. And also with the ability to be able to speak, to declare, and to decree. And we read in James chapter 3 and verse 2 through 6. We can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. In its mouth. A horse can be turned around by what's in its mouth. In its, not mouse, mouth. <laughs> and a tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. So even I can, uh, he can turn it against the wind and still make it go where he wants it to go, not just where the wind is blowing. So also the tongue, a small thing. But what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark. When we speak, there's a spark. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It's full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. Can you believe there's anything that powerful that you walk around with every day? Yes. Yes, I can believe that. It can ruin your whole life. But the next sentence says this. It can turn. Your tongue can turn the entire course of your life. Your tongue can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction for it is set on fire by hell itself. But if it can do that, it can turn it the other way as well. We can turn our lives. We can change our course. We can set our direction with the power of our words. We do not have to just say, this is the way I am. This is the way it is. This is the way we've always been. No, you can turn. You can change. You can direct everything with your tongue. The Apostle Peter said, he that would see good days and keep, he that would love life 
and seek good days, but must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. In other words, he's telling me that the enjoyment of my life and the capacity for me to live out good days is directly proportionate to the words that I am speaking on a continuous and on a daily basis. Words have the power to make everything better. Everything better. Work, ministry, marriage, home, kids, life. Words have the power to make everything worse. Everything. Everything as if it weren't bad enough. Words have the power to make it worse. Words carry this tremendous power. Now today, as we close this book, I want to talk to you about the power of naming. The power of naming. We read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, God said, let there be light. And light began to shine. He saw the light and he knew that it was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and he named the darkness night. God created the world with his word. Nothing else. Nothing else. With his word. He spoke it all into, he spoke it all into existence. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The worlds were framed. By the word of God. And, and we read in the Bible, it is all held together by the word of God. From the subatomic to the forest end of the universe, it's all held together. It's formed by God's word, but we read in the New Testament that it is also held together by the power of his word. In Hebrews 1 and verse 3, speaking of Jesus The sun perfectly mirrors and is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says. The Message Bible says powerful words. The New King James says by the power of his word. He holds everything together. What is it to keep those little subatomic molecules moving and and spinning and not falling apart? He, the word, God's word framed it and God's word sustains it. We read... In Job, chapter 22 and verse 28, you will declare a thing and it will be established for you. You will declare, you will decree a thing and it will be established for you. You who are made in the image of God, you who are God-like, you will decree a thing and it will be established for you. And then if that weren't like, whew, bold enough, like, no, yeah. Then the Lord Jesus comes along and he exponentially amps this up and Jesus shows us what he believes about your words. And we read 
in Mark chapter 11 and verse 23, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. O-M-G. Jesus, I mean, Job said you will decree a thing and it will be established to you. Jesus now talks to us as though we can talk like God talks because nobody can take a mountain and put it in the sea except God. And yet, what does, here's what Jesus thinks are the potential of your words. Your words have that kind of potential and that kind of power. And so the question I have to ask myself is what kind of world am I framing with my words? What kind of atmosphere am I living in? Or atmosphere? (laughs) Or atmosphere joy, not atmosphere. What kind of mountains am I moving with my mouth? Because Jesus says that's how powerful words are. Words can move mountains. What are the mountains you're moving right now with your mouth? What kind of family are you forming? with your speech, with your talk? What kind of self-confidence are you creating with your confession day after day, day after day? Now in Genesis chapter one, I love this, God named darkness night. When you name something, you take a position over it. Something shifts, something radically changes when you give it a name. So what was God doing when he told Adam to name the animals? Because God told him to have dominion, to subdue. And then God gave him the plan. He said, and now, and so name the animals. So Adam began to name the animals. He named them by the very act of naming them He was having dominion over them. He named them. They did not name him. The animals did not name Adam because that's not how it works. No, God told Adam to subdue. God told Adam to to have dominion. And in doing so, God told him, name it. What, What is that? Name it. What is that? Name it. And in naming it, there was something in the position of Adam that moved him above them. Everything you name, you are positionally shifted from it and up above it. God named the stars because he is over them, not under them. Psalm 147 and verse 4, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. The stars don't name God. God names the stars. You name your children. You name them. Now God named darkness night. He didn't call it darkness. 
Darkness is perpetual. Darkness has no end. Darkness is incessant and insistent. But God named it night. And in doing so, he limited it to a length of time that would end with a day, that would dawn to a new day. He named that night, that darkness, he called it night. And when he did that, darkness was now limited. It was limited. And you and I need to understand the power of our words. And we need to understand today the power of our decrees and the power of naming our darkness night. Not perpetual, night. Night. I name my darkness night. We read in Psalm 30 and verse 5, weeping may endure for a night. But joy, but joy comes in the morning because the night has a limit to it. There is no end to darkness. That is the deep pit that depression takes us into, telling us there's no end here. There's no end here. There's no end here. But there is an end tonight, so name your darkness night. There's no limit to darkness, but night ends with the dawn of a new day. And so, what are you calling your darkness? What are you calling your injustice? What are you calling your disappointments? What are you calling your heartaches? What are you calling your sorrows? What are you calling your failures? If you are not naming them, they will name you. Are they naming you victim? Or are you naming them stepping stones to a better day? Stepping stones to greatness. Somebody needs to name somebody. And somebody will name somebody. But you need to be the one naming. What about Joseph in the Bible? What did he name? What did he call his terrible, terrible situation? We know he was 17 years old. He, 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 had a, he was filled with dreams. He was loved, loved, loved by his father. But he was hated by his brothers. They hated him. And we know the day that Joseph came, sent from the father, that those brothers saw him, they loathed him, they hated him, and they actually decided to kill him, to murder him. And they ended up, instead of killing him and murdering him, they put him down in a cistern, in a, down into a well, and they put him into this pit. And actually, I, I, while they were in the pit, they were still deciding who would kill him, or, or, or maybe they, they would kill him. This is, this is the, the son of Jacob. 
And, and we know that a caravan was coming by right at that moment. And they took that beautiful young man and they sold him as a slave to be gone forever, to be out of their life forever. And they, they sold him as a slave on, on a, with a caravan on his way to Egypt. He took his clothes and dipped them in blood and come back to his father and said that he was killed. And now here's this young man. And, and he gets into Egypt and he's sold into the house of a man named Potiphar, whose wife was a wicked woman. And she was trying to, to rape him. She was, she was, she, and he kept his integrity. He wanted, he, and, and she accused him and had him put in prison. It's like his life just, I mean, can I get a break here? Can I get a break here? It's like Joseph's life just was terrible. It was terrible. And when you think about that young man who had his life stolen from him, who had his dreams ripped out of his heart, who was so misused and abused and, and, and lied and hated, and you think about that young man, what did Joseph call his injustice, his unfairness, and the violation of his life? What did he call his murderous, treacherous, deceiving, lying, dream-destroying brothers? What did Joseph name the deal that he had been dealt? How many years did he waste away in prison? Innocent, but wasting away in prison, dreaming how he could get even and exact revenge on those who had destroyed his life. But no, 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 no. Joseph did not name himself or his situation victim, casualty, fatality, wounded, offended. No, Joseph called his darkness night. Darkness endures, but the night ends. Joseph named it the hand of the Lord that took me to my destiny. He named it the pathway of pain that brought me to a place where I could save millions and millions of people. He called the pit and Potiphar and the prison his pathway to the palace. What are you calling? Your darkness. Listen to his own words. Twenty-two years later, he is the most powerful man on earth next to Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, his, his eyes pop out. Those brothers are standing before him, ragged and starving. And Joseph has been saving the whole world with the wisdom of the grain and the storage. And we, if you read this story, if not, go to Genesis and read this story. One of the greatest stories in the whole Bible, I reckon. And now, all of a sudden, 22 years later, they realize they are standing before the most powerful man on earth next to Pharaoh. 
and they recognize him and they know who he is and they're thinking, I'm a, I'm a dead man. And for 22 years, they've lived with the conscience of what they did to him, what they had almost killed him, how they sold him off. And now they're standing before him completely and totally at his mercy to be squished like a little bug. Because, and they know I deserve every bit of it. Just when you squish me, just go ahead and, you know, just because I, guilty, 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 and even more guilty. And I don't even know all that you suffered because of me, guilty. But his own words, because that's not what Joseph called it. He didn't call it like that. He didn't name it that. He didn't see it like that. No, in verse 20 of chapter 50, Joseph looks at that rat bag bunch of brothers and Joseph says, but as for you, you meant evil, evil, evil against me. But God, <laughs> but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. The New Living Translation, he says, you intended to harm me. Oh, buddy, was that ever the deep intention of their malignant hearts? Dark, dark, shriveled up meanness, badness. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many, many people. He said, this wasn't about me. This was about God wanting to use me to do good for many people. Joseph named his injustice good. He named it God's preparation for my life of service to him. Joseph said, my dream was fulfilled and my character was formed in the furnace of this affliction. What are you naming? Your difficulty. Let me tell you how you know if God's getting ready to promote you it's when you can say to the one who has hurt you, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. What are you calling your situation? Unfair or the test of my character? You are not ready to rule and reign until you're ready to do good to the people who put you in a pit. What name are you giving to the season that you are in right now? Are you in a season of barrenness? Name it winter. Winter. By naming it, you limit it, and you declare that God is in it and that you're going to come up out of it. Habakkuk 3.17, though the fig tree may not blossom. Here's some barrenness for you. No, nor fruit beyond the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields of the yield, uh, yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold. 
and there be no herd in the stalls. Woe is me, woe is me, I am undone, I am undone. No, no, yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation because spring comes at the end of every winter. I will rejoice in my God. I know it's, it's terrible. I know the ground's hard. I know the atmosphere's cold. I know this is terrible. I know that there's no fruit. I know there's nothing good right now coming up out of the ground. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior because what I'm going through is a season. Not the rest of my life. We know this. We know in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know. And we know that all things, difficult things, work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. You need to take the power, the mountain-moving power of your words, and you need to name your burden blessing. You need to name your prison promotion. You need to name your crisis character. You need to name your past preparation. The Apostle Paul named his weakness strength. He literally named his weakness strength. He just, entered, he just, he just moved the words around. We, we, we read in 2 Corinthians 12.10. Paul says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. The disciples, after being beaten by the Sanhedrin, they named their persecution privilege. Privilege. Caleb came back with those 12 spies, and they said, we can't enter the promised land. They're giants, and we're grass. No, no, no. Caleb called the Canaanites food. He called them bread. He said, they're Vegemite sandwiches laying out there everywhere for us. Abraham named the most difficult place he had ever stood in his life with his son on an altar and his knife raised in his hands. He named that place Jehovah Jireh. David named the valley of the shadow of death the place where the Lord is near. Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What are you naming COVID-19? The end of the world or the beginning of harvest? Darkest or harvest? I'm calling my lockdown, my slowdown, and my look around as I make my rebound. Or I unwound. You can name it or it can name you. Don't name your darkness desolation or devastation. No, name it renovation and restoration. You know, there was a terrible time in the history of Israel when Eli was the priest. And Eli had these two wicked sons. 
But he also had a foster son, basically, with Samuel, a good boy. And, of course, Samuel grew up in the house of the Lord. But Eli had these, these, these two bad boys' sons, and it was a terrible time, and the Philistines had come in, and, and uh, they had beaten the army of Israel, and they'd taken the Ark of the Covenant. And when Eli was sitting there on the wall or the, the, the fence, and they come, and they told him, and they said, your sons are dead. Both of your sons are dead. And he said, what about the Ark? And they, he, they said, the Philistines have taken it. And Eli fell over dead. And at that moment... One of his sons, I think it was Phineas, at that moment, his wife was giving birth at that very moment, at that very instant. She was giving birth to a baby. And she died in that birth, but before she died, aware of the situation, she screamed. She died screaming the baby's name, Ichabod. Ichabod. That name means the glory has departed. Darkness, darkness, darkness. Now you compare that to Joseph because Joseph also had babies in Egypt, totally estranged from his family, not even knowing he was alive. And so this woman names her baby Ichabod. The glory is gone. The glory is gone. And every time that boy went anywhere, Ichabod had just walked in the room to remind everybody, darkness, darkness, darkness. Now Joseph, Joseph named his darkness night. And you read in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all of my hardships in my father's house. He named that boy Vanessa because God has made him forget, forget that darkness because he named it night and the night came to an end and God has made me forget. And then he named his second son Ephraim for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me fruitful in the season of affliction, in the time of affliction. God has made me fruitful and I name it, I name that baby boy Ephraim. Fruitful in the time of affliction. What are you naming? Your darkness. I'm going to ask our team to please join me. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Jesus said that you can move mountains by speaking to them. By speaking to them. He also said you can take the sycamore tree and pluck it up by its roots and put it in the ocean by speaking to it. Jesus is showing us that things don't have to be like they are because we have the power of words. That things can move. That things can change. And one of the most powerful things you can ever do is to name it. Name it. Name it. And honestly, family, when you name it, you, you change it. You change it. Would you bow your heads? Father, you know so 
much the season we have been in, Lord, the times that are upon us. You, you know, Lord, the pain, the sorrow, the loss, the suffering, the fruitlessness of many, the heartache, the heartbreak. Lord, I could go on and on and on. And yet here we stand, believing, decreeing that you work all things for good to them that love you and who are called according to your purpose that we will outlive every problem, every trial, every trouble, every tribulation because we have eternal life. Because the life and the light of God live in us. And so, Lord, let us not let this season name us. Let us not step back and let it name me backslidden or downtrodden or beaten up. But, Lord, let me name this season. Let me name this season because by naming it, I limit it. By naming it, Lord, I realize that you are over it and above it and I am with you. And I'm coming up above it and I'm coming up out of it. And somebody right now is going to change their whole life. Somebody right now, in Jesus' name, is going to change. The whole world right now is going to stop being miserable. And you're going to stop. And you're going to name it. And you're going to rise above it. And you're going to watch God walk you out of it and through it. Because it's a season. It's a nighttime. Weeping may endure for the night. But joy, joy is coming to you in the morning. Now I can preach the word to you. But I cannot make you obey it. I cannot make you apply it. I cannot make you take it to heart and act upon it. But I am asking you to do that. I am asking you today. To name your darkness and call it 